Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Ed serves as an advisor to the Miracle Foundation, helping with finance and general direction of the nonprofit. Personev, the sponsor of this podcast, partners with the Miracle Foundation each year to give back to vulnerable children around the world. Ed, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you, Megan, for having me. I'm looking forward to this visit with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our discussion, which is focused on working with nonprofits and some of the specific opportunities and challenges that go along with that. So let's jump right in. First, tell me about your career progression. Are there any particular stories or moves that stand out in your mind as turning points within your career? Sure, yeah. There's probably three major turning points that I look back on as milestones during my career. To start, I graduated from the University of Wyoming with a degree in accounting, and I played football and hung out around the football program the whole time I was there. And um, when I left Wyoming, I graduated like we were all supposed to do in those days. I sat for and passed the CPA exam. I went to work for what at that time was one of the big eight accounting firms in Phoenix, Arizona. I ended up spending about two and a half to three years with the firm, and I discovered early on that I really didn't enjoy or like the public accounting work and culture. I did along the way. I'll go ahead, Megan. I, I just said I can relate to that, not liking the, the public accounting atmosphere and culture. Yeah, I, I used to tell people, of course, that was uh, early 80s, pre-internet. And uh, I used to tell people that when I got the morning paper, I would go straight to the sports page and not the business page. And it occurred to me, passion and my heart and my interest was all around the sports world and the football world. You know, based on what I had grown up with and that type of thing. So anyway, um, I spent that two, to, two and a half to three years with the accounting firm. And then I really kind of did a complete career 180 and pivoted back to um, taking a job as an assistant football coach um, at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I, I really loved that, Megan, because it, it, it fit my passion. I had a heart for it. I enjoyed every minute of coaching and spent a couple of years doing that. But um, I realized that in those days, particularly, they didn't pay college football coaches very much money. And we used to say that there were a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot more good football coaches than there were good coaching jobs. So kind of the second turning point was uh, at that point when I shifted and transitioned into athletics administration, where I became the CFO for the athletic department back at the University of Wyoming. Just like my coaching experience, I loved every minute of that um, time I spent at Wyoming. Got up looking forward to work every day. Um, But three years later, kind of that third turning point was um, an opportunity to go to work at the University of Texas at Austin. I was hired by the best athletic director in the country the lost odds to take the CFO job for athletics at UT Austin. And I was really fortunate because during my 24 years there, I kind of was able to live through what was a real dramatic shift and change in the collegiate sports industry. 
And from a CFO's perspective, especially, it really became an entertainment business, at least at that level. While I was there, our overall athletic budget grew from a little over 20 million to over $200 million. So there were, there were kind of the three milestones that I thought of. And looking back, I just was so blessed and so, so fortunate to have a great career and really spend the vast majority of it doing something that I really loved and had a lot of passion for. Yeah, it sounds like you really found the, the perfect spot for yourself, which is uh, something not many people can say. Right, right, yeah. Again, very, very blessed, very fortunate. So having worked for the University of Texas and also your work with nonprofits, from a general perspective, what advice would you give to those considering a career change into the nonprofit world? What specific skills should they be working on? Sure. Yeah. Um, and let me just note, Megan, a lot of people really don't know or realize that the University of Texas at Austin is in its is itself a nonprofit, an educational nonprofit. Yep. So uh, it's a different kind and type of nonprofit, but I did spend all those years really uh, technically working in the nonprofit fields. But what I would say to answer your question is uh, that I really learned it's all about the passion and heart and loving what you do. When I was in the public accounting world, I would feel what I've described as the dark cloud of doom come over me every Sunday afternoon or evening, knowing that I had to go spend the next week at work doing something that I really didn't want to be doing. As I mentioned earlier, when I got into the sports world, be it coaching or administration, I, I did look forward to going to work every day. There was never a time, fortunately, that I got up and just thought, I don't want to go to work. So I realized that there's that old saying that when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. That really is true. So to answer your question, I, I really think it comes back to, to passion. You know, and that's what the nonprofit world provides is an opportunity to pursue your passion, find fulfillment and purpose in what you do. It's a great opportunity to make an impact and, um, uh, again, passion and purpose are, to me, the big drivers in those that are considering making a change into the nonprofit world. I don't think there's any worse feeling in the world than not liking what you do and not looking forward to work on Monday mornings. Oh, yeah. You know, I've, I've had a lot of young people and still do from time to time seek my counsel, and I'm, I'm always really humbled by that. Uh, but I always start with, you know, follow your heart, find out what you love and what you love to do and find a way to make your way uh, in the professional world uh, based on that. I, I agree with what you said. It's just it's just so important. No question from a really from a skills perspective. I don't think it makes any difference whether it's a for profit or a, a nonprofit situation. I think you have to have. The skill set, obviously, that um, goes toward whatever functional area that you are uh, in, engaged in. Um, so what, whether it's a profit or nonprofit environment, you kind of have to maximize the skill set to fit the role you play. So do you think there are ideal candidates for nonprofit work? And if so, what personality types make for a good fit with nonprofit? Sure. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think y'all asked me to participate in this, not because of all of my work in the nonprofit world of 
intercollegiate sports at UT, but more through the uh, association engagement I have with the Miracle Foundation, which is a nonprofit that my wife Caroline started. And just to tell her story briefly to yeah. help your question, she was a really successful television executive in the 90s back in Austin. This is before we met, Megan. And um, she was making a lot of money and being very, very successful in her career. But she tells the story of how she just didn't feel that she had that sense of purpose or fulfillment. So one night she and a friend of hers over happy hour decided they were going to quit their jobs, get away from corporate America for a year, and just go travel around the world. Well, along the way, they went to India and went into an orphanage in a very remote rural area of India. She was so haunted and horrified by what she witnessed there and the terrible conditions that those children were living in. In spite of the great efforts of the, the people who were trying their best to run the orphanage, that it, it, I called her lightning bolt moment. It, it sort of resulted in a huge shift in her life where she decided to take a stand and put all her energy into making sure vulnerable children are able to reach their full potential, which is basically uh, has been her mission ever since. And, and I'm pleased and proud to say she's really been successful at that along with her, with her team. So uh, to me, the bottom line is it's, it's really not a personality type, it's a person type. And, and that's really someone who's called someone who's called to make a difference and make an impact. And I think in many respects that does somewhat go back to passion and heart and love and what you really care about. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess having been to India, I can only imagine, you know, what she witnessed uh, in that remote orphanage. And yeah, that's amazing that, that, that she decided to, to take that experience and truly make a difference. It's, uh, it's a beautiful story. Um, she tells it beautifully, and um, she lives it every day. And so when you hear me talk about passion, one of the things I really am blessed with is the opportunity to watch her in action and see the kind of fire in her belly when she gets up every morning to go tackle these problems. And as I said, I'm really proud to report that they're they're really doing a fantastic job in dealing with, you know, some of the world's toughest problems. So Absolutely. it's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So specifically from a CFO's pers perspective, what are the biggest differences that you think exist in the profit versus the nonprofit world? I love that question, Megan. Thank you for asking that. There's a really wonderful TED Talk that a guy by the name of Dan Pallotta did. I think it's been a few years ago now, but um, it really addresses that question perfectly. And I would encourage anyone listening to maybe do a YouTube search and, and take the time to watch that because it's enlightening and fascinating and I think really spot on to what, uh, what the question is. But basically, Dan suggests, and I agree, that and uh, have seen firsthand by uh, my experience in different nonprofits that there really are two rule books, one that applies to the for-profit world and another that applies to the not-for-profit world. And that rule book that nonprofits operate under really puts them at a disadvantage compared to the for-profit world. 
the one we've applied to the nonprofits really completely undermines their ability to have their greatest impact and hamstrings them, if you will, related to for-profit enterprises. So there's a couple examples or uh, stories I can kind of tell to support that, those differences in, in my mind. One is we have this belief system that tells us that nonprofits shouldn't spend either any money or much money on what we want to define as overhead. For example, human resources, you know, in the for-profit world, we hire the best people and we pay them salaries and benefits that are commensurate with what their value is and what their worth is. In the nonprofit world, we expect people to uh, work for less pay, less, less personal reward. They're supposed to solve these huge problems, but um, it's almost looked down upon in a sense under this nonprofit rule book for um, an individual to be able to, you know, make a living just like those in the for-profit world. So I think it puts nonprofits at a disadvantage in their ability to attract and retain very, very talented people. Another, another area that I see is, is the difference in advertising and marketing. You know, the way that you grow a business in the for-profit sector is through doing a lot of advertising and marketing to get your product and service out there. But in the nonprofit space, I've seen that we really don't want them to spend money on that because it's considered, again, overhead. So they're not able to grow their business and um, have the same advantages. And, and to me, from a CFO perspective, that just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really add up. A couple other areas real quickly that I think are, are differences is that nonprofit rule book doesn't really allow them to take risks and take time. You know, they're not, they're, they're expected to uh, only spend what they make and compared to a lot of profit-oriented businesses, especially maybe high tech, you know, they may lose money for five or six years while they're investing in becoming their best selves and while they're innovating and figuring out the best way to go about providing service. You know, we don't want our nonprofits to do that. So they're a little hamstrung in their ability to innovate and take the risk and the time to, to do that. So I think, you know, it's difficult for nonprofits to make their greatest impact and invest in being the best they can be because of that, because of that rule book. And all of that, in my mind, is, is a big difference that puts them at a disadvantage. So what did you say Dan's last name was, the, the TED Talk? Pilata. And, and I may be misspelling that, which we just talked about how, you know, I, I apologize for that, but I believe it's P-O-L-L-A-T-A, Dan Pilata. Um, okay. It's a fantastic TED Talk and really addresses that difference in real common sense terms that uh, – and then provides some real-world examples about it that you know just kind of turns the light bulb on when when you think about that because again, given these two rule books, we sort of have these belief systems that have influenced our thinking all these years, um, and that TED Talk really sort of shakes that up, if you will, Megan. So it's cool. It's a it's a it's a very very good TED Talk. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to that myself. Yeah, let me know what you think about that. I'd love to get your feedback after you have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, absolutely. 
so we just touched on this a bit, but some people have preconceived notions about what it's like to work with or for nonprofits, whether that be that it's going to be a low paying job, that it's an under-resourced, you know, organization, or that they'll be spending all day at luncheons with upper crust asking for donations. So what are some of the myths that you'd like to debunk about taking on a role for a nonprofit? Sure. There's, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, I think one is, and it kind of goes back to that overhead uh, issue of compensation, but I think there's a myth that one will do better, quote unquote, do better by remaining in the profit world than by making a shift to the nonprofit world. And in some respects, that may or may not be true, you know, because it focuses in a little bit on, on you know, the typical salary benefits, climbing the corporate ladder, retirement, all those things that we all think about, right, Megan? But what it, what it also does is it discounts the reward of fulfillment and the experience that one can have in the nonprofit world by just simply making a big difference. So that's kind of one myth. Another one is, and I think Caroline experienced this a bit when she had this lightning bolt moment and decided she was going to commit her life to changing this, this uh, addressing this problem of orphan and vulnerable children is that you'll never be able to do it. You know, it's going to be too hard. It's too big a job, whatever, you know, I think there's, there's that myth that many people who have a passion and a burn to do something are kind of, told that the safe way is to not do it as opposed to do it. But I do think that passion and purpose and commitment, love, belief, persistence, you know, that, that overcomes all of that. So uh, th those are a couple of myths that I've thought of. And, and when, I, when I think specifically about what, um, what I see with Caroline and the Miracle Foundation team is they love what they do. So when you referenced the under-resourced or the helping people or sitting at a luncheon with our dad, you know, Caroline spends a lot of her time in fundraising endeavors. Um, it doesn't really matter what they're doing specifically day to day and what the task is. They just have that sense of purpose and that love for making the difference. And, and um, so it overcomes all of that. I, I think it's, it's, it's sort of a testament to that, concept of passion that we've referred to a few times. Yeah, I don't think a dollar sign can be put on loving what you do every day when you wake up. Yeah, and I, I think I've seen with younger people uh, a sort of a trend and a shift a little bit in how they, they tend to understand the sense of passion, purpose, and making a difference maybe better than I did my generation, you know, when I was that age. 40 years ago. So it's, it's cool that I think that our world is changing a little bit so that nonprofit endeavors might be more attractive to more people. And, and um, you know, hopefully that will be the case. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that observation that younger generations, they, they do seem to want to make a difference and finding meaningful work is, is much more important to them than some of the older generations. It, it is. It is. And, and when I look back and you commented on it, I really was fortunate to be able to experience that. When I think about my father's generation, you know, a lot of those guys just grabbed a lunch pail and went to work and did the same thing all those years and 
kind of toiled away at it. So um, it is really, uh, it's a neat and cool thing that our young people have that sense of purpose and making a difference. Um, it's kind of what the world needs, I think, uh, along the way. Yeah, I definitely agree. So relationships are at the core of most nonprofit work. So how do you personally go about building and sustaining relationships? That's a great question too, Megan. You know, uh, to me, most relationships start by involving people who are like-minded or like-hearted. So I think we tend to seek people out who kind of think and feel and believe along the same lines that we do a little bit. But I think the most important thing in terms of sort of building those relationships is empathy and understanding for the other or others. I learned when I was coaching what sort of made coaches tick and what they needed and wanted and thought. And so I learned some understanding and empathy there that really served me well when I transitioned to administration because I, I felt what they felt, if you will. We used to say that people don't care what you know until they know what you care. You might have heard that, but I think it's a really cool saying. And so I think that understanding and empathy and care is a fundamental of building relationships. And then, you know, the basics, honesty, consistency, unselfishness, investing our time in the relationship. Those are all key things in, in sustaining relationships. So that's my mentality toward it and kind of the approach I take in, uh, in, in trying to build and sustain them. Yeah, that's great advice. So what are your favorite aspects of working with or helping a nonprofit? Sure. Um, you know, there's three things that everyone wants. Caroline talks about this a lot. Number one, to love and be loved. Number two, they want their families to be healthy, happy, and taken care of. And number three, they want to make a difference. They want their life to matter. And, um, that to me is what the nonprofit space really offers people. It gives oneself and others a great opportunity to make a big difference and to matter. So um, personally, I've experienced firsthand the fulfillment in, involved with that by the kind of volunteer advising or consulting I'll do from time to time with the American Foundation and their, their financial operations. And then also just from the joy of, of, you know, giving of time and treasure. And um, it really is that, that space and that place that allows people to make that big difference. So switching gears a bit, we all want to be sure that our donations are being put to good use. So how does one evaluate a nonprofit and whether or not they're spending too much on overhead? Great question, Megan, again, and there's some really good charity watchdog organizations out there that help people evaluate uh, nonprofits. One of them is called Charity Navigator. Caroline refers to that a lot. Uh, another is GuideStar. They're great resources for evaluating nonprofits. Basically, just on the internet, you can go in and get some, some good basic information. In my view, you really have to look at the leader and the leadership too. And, um, you know, in my book, 
character, commitment, values, vision, all those things matter. And I think that when you're evaluating the nonprofits, you have to evaluate the leadership and make sure that um, they really are consistent with what their mission is. Um, and then finally, again, you know, the, the overhead question is so tough for me because uh, I think it's a little bit of a hamstring that they operate with under the rule book. I never in all the time I spent in the nonprofit world at the University of Texas was asked, how much do you guys spend on overhead? So maybe to sum up, I think the best evaluation of a nonprofit is more on what is the impact that they're having and what's the return on their investment. Obviously, we want them to operate with sound business principles and financial integrity. It's a, it's a huge and really big deal that they do that. But um, I believe in spending money to make an entity as good as it can possibly be to result in their greatest potential impact. And I think that's really important to evaluate uh, largely based on, on that. Yeah, I think we'd all like to see 100% of our funds going to the purpose, but I guess sometimes we forget that there's a great team and, and a business that's supporting that purpose in the background. Right, yeah. We used to, we used to say at, at the University of Texas that we needed to invest in the best people and the best resources to uh, allow us to meet our mission, and that was to take care of student-athletes of provide them opportunities to meet their full potential and win games, frankly. And um, so I agree that um, there is this mindset that we want all of that money to go toward programming and not toward overhead. But I think that um, there's some necessary overhead that allows that impact in the programming side of it to be optimized. So. I think that's got to be part of the evaluation for sure is what, what is the impact? What are they actually doing? So on that note, uh, and last question, so what type of nonprofit causes would you recommend that people support? Sure. There's two primary things I would say, generally speaking, one is people and another is planet. Obviously, there's a lot of our humanity out there that is in a really vulnerable, unfortunate, disadvantaged place. And um, our planet is at risk environmentally. I think we all have to acknowledge that. So I think we have to address those critical issues of inequality and environmental risk. And that's where I believe we can make the most and best difference in uh, supporting nonprofit causes. It, to me, if we don't take care of those two things, nothing else in the long run is really going to matter. Very true. And I'm, I'm sure there's no shortage of causes associated with people and the planet today. Uh, there's so much need out there. There really is. There, there, there truly is. And there are great causes. There are great. You know, the Miracle Foundation is the one that's near and dear to my heart and they are doing great work of course but there are a lot of other people out there that are doing great things to help our fellow man and and to take care of our world and it's it's a cool thing to watch and to see yeah and so important that people do give and make donations to these causes it is yeah 
And again, that's that's part of what the nonprofit world does is it gives people an opportunity to make a difference, maybe simply by writing a check or giving a little bit of their time. Um, so, yeah, I agree with I agree with that completely. Ed, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Megan. I've really enjoyed talking with you and I appreciate your time and efforts in uh, arranging this. Yeah, I really enjoyed learning about your experience and your perspective on nonprofits and, and the Miracle Foundation. And to all of our listeners today, I hope you have enjoyed today's discussion as well. And I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a great week. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personif. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personif can do for you by visiting personif.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personif. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.